Open your Bibles this morning to Acts chapter 1. Acts chapter 1. Today we're going to continue our study in the book of Acts. Today we're going to finish out the first chapter, if you can believe that already. And today my prayer is still the same. That is, we see God's powerful movement in the formation of the church, that we would also see God's great movement in our church as well. And that is, that is my prayer, is, is that uh, as we see his powerful movement through these chapters of the formation of the church, that we would also see his movement in our church as well. My prayer is that this study would not be so much about facts or information or knowledge as an end, but that in seeing those facts and learning that information and acquiring that knowledge, that we would be instructed as the church, that we would need, if need be, be corrected as the church, and that God would powerfully move in this, his church. Because be very sure today, in 2019, all of these years later, God's plan is still the church. Friends, I've said this many times over the years, and I want to tell you it echoes in my heart this morning even stronger. I want to be part of a church that God is using. I want to serve a church where the power of God is truly known. I want to be part of a church where the, the gospel is going out and where lives are being transformed and eternities are being changed and where Jesus Christ is exalted. And that is my prayer for our journey through the book of Acts. And I hope that that is your prayer as well. As we move through these chapters, that God would tremendously, powerfully work in our church as well. Let us be that church. Today we're in Acts chapter 1. Today verses 12 through 26. Acts chapter 1 verses 12 through 26. Our message today is entitled, Recipe for a Great Church. Recipe for a great church. Again, Acts chapter 1, verses 12 through 26. I'm going to ask if you would, if you would stand with me in the reverence and honor of the reading of God's word. Acts chapter 1, beginning here in the 12th verse. God's word says this. Then they returned to Jerusalem from the mount called Olivet, which is near Jerusalem, a Sabbath day's journey away. When they entered the city, they went to the upper room where they were staying. That is Peter and John and James and Andrew, Philip and Thomas, Bartholomew and Matthew, James the son of Alphaeus and Simon the zealot and Judas the son of James. These all with one mind were continually devoting themselves to prayer along with the women and Mary, the mother of Jesus and his brothers. At this time, Peter stood up in the midst of the brethren, a gathering of about 120 persons was there together, and said, Brethren, the scripture had to be fulfilled, which the Holy Spirit foretold by the mouth of David concerning Judas, who became a guide to those who arrested Jesus. For he was counted among us and received his share in this ministry. Now this man acquired a field with the price of his wickedness. And falling headlong, he burst open in the middle, and all his intestines gushed out. And it became known to all who were living in Jerusalem 
so that their own language, the field was called Hakodama, that is, field of blood. For it is written in the book of Psalms, let his homestead be made desolate and let no one dwell in it, and let another man take his office. Therefore it is necessary that of the men who have accompanied us all the time and the Lord, that the Lord Jesus went in and out among us, beginning with the baptism of John, until the day he was taken up from us, one of these must become a witness with us of his resurrection. So they put forward two men, Joseph, called Barsabbas, who was also called Justice, and Matthias. And they prayed and said, You, Lord, who know the hearts of all men, show us which one of these two you have chosen to occupy this ministry and apostleship which Judas turned aside to go his own place. And they drew lots for them, and the lot fell to Matthias, and he was added to the 11 apostles. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Dear Heavenly Father, we come today and we're thankful. I am so thankful for a risen Savior. I'm thankful for grace on top of grace, that when we sin and in your love and in your grace and through the work of the finished work of our Savior, the cross of Calvary, that we are forgiven. Lord, I'm thankful that where your blood ran red, our sins are washed white. And Lord, so we come today and we praise the name of Jesus. We exalt our Savior, our hope, Jesus. Lord, I come and I I pray for this hour now. I pray that you would be known in this hour, that you would speak in this hour. I pray that it would truly be a, a supernatural event not just a lecture, not just the passing of information, but that you would, you would, the living God, would speak to this, your church. And Lord, I pray that we would be impacted. I pray that we would be encouraged, that we would be taught, trained, corrected, and that we would leave here walking in fellowship with you, acting as the church of the living God. Empower us for that. Lord, I pray for anyone in this room right now that doesn't know you, I pray that in this day, in the preaching of your gospel, that today might be the day of their salvation. Lord, I pray that you would remove any hindrance. I pray that you would remove pride. And I pray their ears would be open. And that today we would rejoice in their salvation. Lord, we come, we open all this before you. We tell you we love you, we worship you, and we thank you. And I pray in Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. Is there a recipe for what makes up a church? Are there ingredients that must be present, that must be somehow included for a church to be a church? Today we hear all sorts of discussion on this church or that church. Is there a recipe? Are there ingredients that must be present for a church to be a church? And if so, where do we find the recipe. There's a whole bunch of books today that are out. There's a whole bunch of seminars. You can go online and people have all these ideas about how to run a church, but where do we find a recipe for a God-honoring church? Well, today as we move through the actual historical account, the formation of the church, and understand that's what the book of Acts is, the actual historical account of the formation of the church we're going to be able to see and we're going to be able to today pull out 
some of these ingredients of the recipe. We're going to be able to pull out some of these pieces of the recipe. Now, understand, these were pieces that were present then, and these are pieces that should be present now. And that's our goal today. As we pass through these verses, what ingredients, what pieces were present then that should be present now? And that's what we're going to see today. All right, let's look at our verses. The first piece, the first ingredient for a church that we see in our verses is obedience. Obedience. Look with me at verse 12. Then they returned to Jerusalem from the mount called Olivet, which is near Jerusalem, a Sabbath's day journey away. Now understand here in verse 12, Jesus ascends. They leave the Mount of Olives. They go back to Jerusalem. The Bible says it is a Sabbath day's journey. Now understand that simply means the distance that they could lawfully travel on a a Sabbath day. It was 2,000 cubits. It was less than three quarters of a mile. And so very close to Jerusalem, they leave the Mount of Olives and they travel back to Jerusalem. Now at face value, That seems to be an insignificant thing. That seems to be really a small thing. They leave the Mount of Olives. They return to Jerusalem. But remember this. In verse 4, Jesus commanded them. Go look at the language. Jesus commanded them to stay in Jerusalem until the coming of the Holy Spirit. He said, stay in Jerusalem. Go to Jerusalem. Remain there. And they go and they stay in Jerusalem. Listen very carefully. The church acts only in obedience to Jesus Christ. Do you hear that? The church moves, the church acts only in obedience to Jesus Christ. The church is not driven by public opinion. The church is not directed by the desires of people. That's what we see today. Well, the majority want this. We decide we want this. The church is not directed by the desires of people. The church is not led by what is popular today. The church is led by Jesus. He is the head of the church, and the church that he uses walks in obedience. You understand that? The church that he uses walks in obedience. The first ingredient we see is obedience. Verse 13. When they had entered the city, they went up to the upper room where they were staying. That is Peter and John and James and Andrew, Philip and Thomas, Bartholomew and Matthew, James the son of Alphaeus, Simon the zealot, and Judas, not Iscariot, but Judas the son of James. These are the 11 remaining apostles. Next, we see the next ingredient, the next piece, and that is unity. Unity. Verse 14, the first part of the verse says this. These all with one mind. These all with one mind. All of these people were possessing. Now, this is what that means. All of these people were possessing 
one mind. Now, it means they weren't just in one place. It's not, they're just gathered there in the upper room. They're not just in one place, but they are literally of one mind. It literally translates in agreement of thought, in agreement of thought. And so get this, the church is made up of people that are of a unified mind. The church is made up of people that have the same thought. And although we have different backgrounds and we have different educations and we have different ages in the church, although we have different experiences that we come from, we in the church are to have the same mind. Now, it's hard to understand and it's hard in our culture to say, but understand, not everybody should worship together. In fact, not everybody can worship together. Now, our world today says the opposite. Our world today says that no one is ever wrong. Our world will say that everyone can be right at the same time. Our world says we have to set aside our differences, and unity is portrayed as compromising. And that's what the world says is unity. If there's to be unity, you have to set aside some things and you have to compromise. Listen very carefully. Biblical unity is never compromising on the truth. It is agreeing on and standing in that truth. Do you see that? The world says compromise. The world says set it down. Biblical unity is unified in the truth. Today we worship with people. What, what's, the, what's, the, what's the way we worship? We worship with people with the same focus and with the same purpose. We worship with people that have the same focus, and that is salvation by faith in Jesus Christ alone and with the same purpose, and that is to spread the good news to a lost world of that Savior, Jesus. We are to be of one mind, and it is the truth that unites us. Today, there's a push, and it's been coming maybe 20, 30 years, but there's a push that's, that seems to be picking up speed these days, and people say, you know what, we're all the same. We're all the same. You know what? We need to set these differences aside and we're all the same. We're all the same. Listen to me. We are only the same where we are unified in the truth of God's word. And so the second ingredient for the church is unity. They were of one mind. The third ingredient is also found in verse 14. Let me read it again. These all with one mind were continually devoting themselves to prayer along with the women and Mary, the mother of Jesus, and with his brothers. These all with one mind were continually devoting themselves to prayer. The third ingredient is prayer. The Bible says they were continually devoting themselves to prayer. Now, what that means is they were persistent in prayer. In fact, they were constant in prayer. Now, be sure and get this. The two main ministries of the church, now we're gonna see this a little bit later in our study in the book of Acts, but we're gonna see two of the main ministries of the church are the ministry of the word and the ministry of prayer. 
Folks, we need to be very sure this morning we in the church have available to us all of the resources of God. We have available to us all of the power of God. We have available to us the wisdom of God. We actually have the hand and the very face of God available to us in prayer. And we are ridiculously, sadly forfeiting that when we are not a praying church. Prayer has to be a big piece of what we do as a church. Prayer has to be a constant thing and not a, not a token thing, not a thing that we, we schedule, we do it at this place and this time. Prayer is to be a consuming thing for us in the church. Written on my wall in my office, on a scrap piece of paper, it says this. The extent that we see the power of God and that we experience the presence of God is determined by the amount of time we spend in prayer before God. Now I want you to hear that again. The extent that we see the power of God and that we experience the presence of God is determined by the amount of time we spend in prayer before God. Let us remember that as a church. Let me remember that as a Christian. We have to be a praying church. Now, before we leave this verse, I want to point out something right here. Notice there in the verse, it says, along with the women. Notice that, along with the women. Be very clear this morning. Women were included in the ministry of Jesus. Women were at the death, the crucifixion of Jesus. Women were very, some of the very first ones to testify of the resurrection of Jesus. And women are involved in the founding of the church of Jesus. I want you to be very clear this morning. They are not second rate. Women are not second class. They're not a second thought when it comes to the ministry of Jesus. But they are instrumental to the cause of Jesus Christ and the women with them. Verse 15. Women, you can say amen. amen. Men, you ought to as well. Verse 15. At this time, Peter stood up in the midst of the brethren, a gathering of about 120 persons was there together and said. All right, now we move into the 16th verse. We're going to have the fourth ingredient. And I want you to see this. It's huge. It's an awesome thing. It is the inspired word of God, present from the very start, the inspired word of God. Verse 16, brethren, the scripture had to be fulfilled, which the Holy Spirit foretold by the mouth of David concerning Judas, who became a guide to those who arrested Jesus. Verse 16, Peter stands and he starts to talk. He stands and he starts to lead and he does so by using the scriptures. It literally translates the writings. He, he, he stands and he begins to lead. He begins to teach and he does so by using the scriptures. Now see this, it says the, the Holy Spirit had foretold of Judas. He foretold what Judas was gonna do and he used the mouth of David to tell of it. Now I want you to notice this. I want you to see this. There may be no clearer verse in all of scripture 
that shows that the word of God is inspired by God than this verse. David spoke, it was recorded, but it was given by God. That's what this verse means. David spoke, it was recorded, but it was given by God. The scripture is the inspired word of God. Church, be very sure of this this morning. The truth of the gospel, the truth of Jesus, the truth that the church upholds, the truth that the church is the pillar of is the word of God, our Bibles, period. I want to tell you, we need to be grounded in that. We need to be very sure of that. I want you to understand, either a church is Bible-led or it is misled. Either a church is a Bible-believing church or it is a world-believing church. Either a church is a Bible-preaching church or it is a false church, an actual agent of Satan. There is no middle ground. You want to know when we failed as a church, and sometimes folks want to know, well, what's going on and what's happening? You want to know when we failed as a church, it's not when attendance is down. You want to know when we failed as a church, it's not when the, the giving drops off. You want to know when we fail as a church, it's not when we've lost public approval. You want to know when we fail as a church, it's when we fail to uphold the very word of God. And that's when we fail as a church. That is our duty. That is our calling. That is our role as the church. And from the very start, there's the inspired word of God. Peter says it was foretold of Judas of his desertion. And Peter says, we've got to replace him, foretold in Scripture. Verse 16 again, listen. Brethren, the Scripture had to be fulfilled, which the Holy Spirit foretold by the mouth of David concerning Judas, who became a guide to those who arrested Jesus. Verse 17. For he was counted among us and received his share in this ministry. Verse 17, how sad that is. Verse 17, how, how, how terrible that is. He knew Jesus. He traveled with Jesus. He was counted as a, as a, as a share holder in the ministry of Jesus. Verse 18. Now this man acquired a field with the price of his wickedness, and falling headlong, he burst open in the middle and all his intestines gushed out. Now, remember the account. Let me put it together for you. Judas, with regret, takes the 30 pieces of silver, and remember, he throws it back into the temple. Now, the pious men there in the temple, they, they won't use it. It's blood money. They, they think it's tainted. They won't use it. And so they buy with that money a field. Well, Matthew chapter 27, verse 5 says that Judas hangs himself. And now in Luke's account, it says that, that evidently the branch breaks and he falls on the rocks and he breaks open. He is crushed on the rocks. Now, understand that's not two different accounts. That is the same account. Verse 19. And it became known to all who were living in Jerusalem so that in their own language, that field was called Hakodama, that is, field 
of blood. Verse 20. For it is written in the book of Psalms, let his homestead be made desolate and let no one dwell in it and let another man take his office. Now that is quoting from Psalm 108. Now see, led by God through the word of God, they are directed to replace him. Do you see how, how awesome that is? Words from hundreds of years previous, they are led by the word of God. Again today, the church is led by the word of God. Now as we move on, Listen to the qualification of the one that would replace Judas. Verse 21. Therefore, it is necessary that of the men who have accompanied us all the time that the Lord Jesus went in and out among us. Means this person, that they were with us, they walked with Jesus, they went in with Jesus, they went out with Jesus, they heard the teachings of Jesus. Verse 22. Beginning with the baptism of John until the day that he was taken up from us, one of these must become a witness with us of his resurrection. Verse 22 is a big verse. Let me read it again. Beginning with the baptism of John until the day he was taken up from us, one of these must become a witness with us of his resurrection. This person, they were going to need to understand who Jesus was. And they were going to need to understand the entirety of who Jesus was. That he was the, the Lamb of God. There at the baptism, behold the Lamb of God, which taketh away the sins of the world. They were going to need to know that he was the Messiah. That he clearly proclaimed to be the Messiah. That he would suffer, that he would die. That in three days, he would rise again. They would need to know all of that. And then notice this, in that we see the fifth ingredient for the church, and that is this, the proclamation of the gospel, the proclamation of the gospel. Now stay with me, notice this, notice it says they have to know all of that because in verse 22, listen to this, they must become a witness with us of his resurrection. The word for witness means a testifier, one that would testify to, one that would bear witness of. They must become a testifier with us of his resurrection. They must become one who, like we are gonna do, will proclaim the truth of Jesus Christ. Now, this is huge, this is big, I want you to see this. The church of Jesus Christ has never stood apart from the proclamation of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Do you understand what just happened here? The church of Jesus Christ has never stood apart from the proclamation of Jesus Christ. In fact, the church has always existed for the proclamation of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Today, if you find me a church, you find me a church and they have excellent worship songs. 
I mean, they have excellent worship songs. The band, the singers, the praise team, even the congregation. Ooh, they have the most awesome worship music. You find me a church and they have the most tremendous programs for your kids. Oh, yes, this is what we want. Everything we're looking for, everything's in place. The greatest program for your kids. You find me a church and they, they teach great and moral truths and they're producing good people. Listen, even biblical truths, they're teaching great moral truths. You find me a church and they're serving the poor and they're out as a light in that community and they're taking up all the, the causes, the good works there in their community. You find me the most wonderful church ever. You find me the most excellent church ever. Yet if it doesn't, faithfully, intentionally, clearly proclaim the gospel of Jesus Christ. I don't know it is what you found me, but it's not a church. The proclamation of the gospel has always been included in the church of Jesus Christ. From the very start, the core of the church is the proclamation of the gospel. You know what? This person that's gonna replace Judas, he's gonna have to know who Jesus is. He's going to have to know of the resurrection. He's going to have to be a testifier of the truth of Jesus. At the very core of the church from Acts chapter 1 is the proclamation of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Man, I'm scared we're losing that. I'm scared you could go to churches and they'll have every sort of thing there and they can do all sorts of things and every cause will be up on posters everywhere and everybody will be doing all those things, but nobody will be sharing the truth of a risen Savior, Jesus Christ. That's at the core of the church is the proclamation of the gospel of Jesus Christ. The fifth ingredient the proclamation of the gospel. Verse 23. So they put forward two men, Joseph called Barsabbas, who is also called Justice, and Matthias. We're going to see the sixth ingredient now, the last ingredient that we'll look at today, and that is this, God-given leadership. God-given leadership. Two guys are put forward. We're going to see the last ingredient that we'll look at today, God-given leadership. Verses 24 and 25 together. And they prayed and said, listen to their prayer, you, Lord, who know the hearts of all men, show which one of these two you have chosen, verse 25, to occupy this ministry and apostleship from which Judas turned aside to go to his own place. Notice there in these two verses, they prayed. God, you lead us. God, you lead us. God, you know the hearts of men. We don't know the hearts of men. So God, you show us. God, you show us. That's their prayer. God, you lead us. Folks, God's plan is still the church. And the world needs desperately a gospel-proclaiming church. And God's plan is still the church. And God in his wisdom and God in his grace blesses the church 
with his leaders. That's how he set it up. That, that's the plan that he put into place. God, God knew that the church would need we, leaders. And so God blesses the church in his grace and in his wisdom with godly leaders. From the very start and still today, God blesses his church with his leaders. He appoints them. He sends them. Notice the end of verse 24. It says that you have chosen. God, show us the one that you have chosen. God, that you have chosen. I'm going to say something that, that may not be popular, and it's probably not, so you can drop me a, a note later in the week or email me. One of the problems we have today, and I'm, I'm being very serious, one of the problems that we have today is we have a whole lot of people trying to lead in the church that God didn't send to lead in the church. And for whatever reason, maybe they appointed themselves, and there's some that do that, or maybe, maybe some people appointed them, but God didn't call them, and God didn't send them. And they're making a giant mess in the churches today. God didn't send them. God didn't call them. And I don't know why, why they wanted to do it, but they, uh, they appointed themselves, or maybe a bunch of folks appointed them for them, but God didn't call them, and God didn't send them, and they're making a mess in the church today. Already here in the book of Acts, already here in the formation of the church in chapter 1, we see that Jesus is the head of the church, but that God ordains, God sends leaders to lead the cause of that church. That is his plan. I was thinking about this as I was looking at these verses. Several years ago, I was talking to a friend of mine. He's a pastor. And he, at that time, was serving as an interim pastor in a particular church. And that church had put together a search committee. And that search committee, looking for, the, for a new pastor for the church, had started a process. And they, they wanted to get the right pastor. And so they started a process to identify the next pastor for the church. And, and part of that process, they decided they would interview the church. And so they passed out papers and they interviewed the church, and there was a series of questions, and the, the questions were determined, what would you like to see? What would you, what would you want in your next pastor? And they, they got the, the surveys back, and they came with, with things as this age to this age. We like somebody 42 to 53. True story. We like this education. We want this education. If they're going to say, thus saith the Lord, we want to know this is what he said. And we want this education, a doctor's degree. True story. We like this number of kids. In fact, we, we would like two to three kids and we'd like them to be in this certain age range so they'll play with our kids. We'd like them to have this, this number of kids. We'd like them to visit this much and we, we want to set his priority before he gets here and he's going to need to visit this much. Even how that he dresses. We would like that he would dress more contemporary and he wouldn't wear some other sort of dress. We would like that he would dress in this manner. And they got those surveys 
And they began to unravel all the information. They began to make charts and, and they began to plot out what it is the church wanted. And then to add to that, they mailed out a survey to the surrounding community, not even members of the church, asking the community, what would you like to see in the next pastor of our church? Well, my friend, he was the interim pastor, so he had nothing to lose, I guess. One day had heard all that he could take. And true story, he said they were getting ready to meet. They had all their survey stuff and all their information out. And he, he went crashing down the hall. And he said, guys, here's what you need to do. You need to take all this survey stuff and you need to throw it in the trash. And you need to get in that room and you need to shut the door and you need to get on your knees and you need to see who God has sent for your church. God, in his grace and his wisdom, appoints leadership for his church. The sixth ingredient is a God-given, godly leader. So we, we finish today. The church has, from the very start, obedience. It's to walk in obedience the church has unity. We're to be of the same mind and we're unified in the truth of God's word. The church includes prayer. It's to be committed. It's to be continual in prayer. The church as the inspired word of God and we grab onto and we uphold and we teach the inspired word of God. The church has at its very core the proclamation, the testifying of the gospel of Jesus Christ. The church has godly leadership. And so how are we doing? If we want to be that church for his glory, how are we doing? You see, I keep saying the church is still God's plan. The church is still God's plan. I believe it, friends. The church is still God's plan. And so if we are going to be his church, we're going to have to be in his plan. Listen to me today. Get this today. Darkness is growing all around us. Do you see the events of just the last week or two? Darkness is growing all around us. Lostness is all around us. Lostness is, is converging in on us. People are perishing today. They are walking blindly and numbly into death and they're perishing today. Do you see our kids and our homes and our marriages, our nation? People are hurting today. They're suffering today. Darkness is all around us and the beacon of the only hope they have is the church. Dear God, let us not fail. Dear God, let us not be apathetic, not in so dire a time. Dear God, let us not be distracted. How could we ever be distracted? Dear God, use us, use us, use us. The only hope is a church that would tell the hope of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Dear God, use us. Let's pray. Dear Father, we come. And Lord, I'm thankful. So thankful for your word. Present in the church still. I'm thankful that in your word you tell us what ingredients are to be put in? What ingredients are to be left out? Thankful that you encourage us, you teach us, you refocus us 
Lord, I'm thankful for your word. I'm thankful for the gospel that we hold. There is hope in Jesus Christ. There is the forgiveness of sin in Jesus Christ, restoration, peace that endureth in Jesus Christ. Lord, I pray we wouldn't just hold it, we would spread it. Lord, I pray we'd be convicted as a church, we'd be motivated as a church that we exist at our very core is to be testifiers of the good news of Jesus. Lord, I pray that your hand would be with our church and on our church and in our church and that your, your mission would be carried out through our church. Pray for a lost world right around us in Vernon. Pray for kids that are hurting today apart from the gospel. Moms and dads that are hurting apart from the gospel. People that are, that are waking up today and they deadened themselves enough last night to get through another day, but they've got another one coming and they're hurting today apart from the gospel. Lord, I pray for older folks that are nearing death and there's no peace in their heart apart from the gospel. Lord, I pray for this church and, and all of your churches stand and to proclaim the hope that is in the gospel. Use us for that. Lord, I pray for some in this hour that may not know you. Some in this very room that may not know you. I pray that today would be the day of their salvation. Today they would see their hope is in Jesus. That you would work in their hearts. Lord, we come and we just, we offer this hour to you as an act of worship. We tell you we love you. We praise you. We ask that you move in this time of invitation. We trust it to you. And I pray all this in Jesus' Holy name, in Jesus' name, amen.